Father, bless uh, this, uh, these thoughts by way of introduction tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, I'm sure, like many of you, um, after hearing the messages this morning, or the message this morning, some of you are here for the 9 o'clock or the 11 o'clock, but those, those thoughts, they uh, have been resonating deeply in my soul. Um, from Hebrews, the 11th chapter, thinking of Moses. And it all, it all, it was fascinating. I just loved it because it all started with that refusing. And, and, and we, I think we can all remember those days when we had to do the same thing, um, because of what happened in our lives. And, and I love the connection between, there's a lot of those verbs that Pastor Charlotte covered. Um, but it started with refusing. But the beautiful and the best part of that is that it ended up with enduring. Uh, and I love that connection, you know, refusing, because we've all had to refuse something that the world has put in front of us. Um, maybe it was the refusal to remain with a group of friends that if we stayed with them, we know what inevitably would happen. Um, we would end up, you know, in, in a disaster-like situation. So maybe that was friends uh, that we realized, look, I, I can't spend any 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 time anymore with this with these peers because of the impact that they're going to have upon my soul uh, once once God got a hold of our hearts um, then the process of refusal but I was thinking this morning like it, it even went back further than that for Moses didn't it and, and you say what do you mean it was his mother remember what his mother did for him when he was a child and the decree of Pharaoh is that all of the male children were to be killed and their lives would be taken. But, but Moses' mother, she did not fear the king. And she hid her son. And boy, what a great decision that was. And then she was, after she put him in that basket and he floated down that river and he was picked up by Pharaoh's daughter. And then he grew up in royalty and grew up in the palace. Um, and then, of course, she realized this is a Hebrew child. Um, and, and we need a, a Hebrew mother to nurse this child. Talk about God honoring Moses' mother. Not only are you going to get, are you going to be reunited with your child, but we're going to pay you to do it. That's amazing. But then you think of Moses with his mother and the things that his mother must have said to him. You're a special child. God saved you from, you know, from your life being taken. It's not an accident. It wasn't by chance that you ended up surviving and so many of those other children, um, Hebrew children were put to death. No, God's got a special plan for you. I could imagine that she poured that into her son a lot. And it's just stayed with him. And, you know, there's an encouraging word there for families, for moms, you know, because you've invested in your children. Or maybe in some cases, your grandchildren. And sometimes, you, you know, you might, you could be here tonight and say, well, he didn't turn out like Moses. He kind of turned out like Pharaoh. Uh, what happened? Um, listen, don't worry about it. Because, because you did what God wanted you to do and you made that investment in their lives, you have no idea 
uh, how far that investment will take them and when it will resurface in their lives. You know, these, what I find interesting over the past 30 plus years of uh, going back and forth to New York and ministering to the NBA players, I have a chance to ask a lot of these athletes that are believers that come into the chapel service, not just from our team, but from all of the other teams. And I asked them, especially these guys that you can tell they have these rock solid convictions. I mean, they really believe God and they really love the word of God. And, and no matter what's going on, if they're in the middle of, you know, being interviewed by the media or if they're, you know, getting ready to warm up for the game, once they know that it's time for chapel, they just leave. They go right to chapel. And I've asked them, I said, you know, where did you get these convictions? Where did you get this strong faith? And almost in every case, you know what they say? It was my mom. My mother brought me to church. My mother taught us the Bible. My mother, she told us the value of that which was eternal. And in almost in every case, that happens. And I'm sure that some of those guys, maybe at some point in their lives, they got away from it. But we know that promise from God. You train up a child in the way they should go. And when they're older, they won't depart from it. But they'll come back to it. And and when Moses became of age and he realized, hey, you know what? I may have been brought up in Pharaoh's palace, but I'm a Hebrew. I'm a child of God. I've got a special place in this world with a special calling upon my life. And it's just, it's just like us, and it can be just like our children. Maybe they go wayward for some time, but there's something that's been deposited in their lives, and God is going to make sure that he brings it back. And that's so encouraging. So, again, Moses, he must have been given all of that from his mom, his family. And then when the time came, yeah, he stood up and he realized who he was. And it's kind of just like, like God tells that, tells the same thing to us in, in 1 John chapter 3. He says, and, and when I, I remember reading this verse as a new believer and I was a little troubled by it because it says this, it says, he that commits sin is of the devil. And I, I remember reading that for the first time and I thought, even though I was born again, I thought, yeah, I knew it. I knew it. Okay, I can say all I want that I was born again. I accepted Christ as my savior. But there it is in black and white. He that commits sin is of the devil. So obviously I still am. But that's not what it really means. It's in the present tense in the Greek language. And it means the one who habitually, continually practices sin is of the devil. Because the devil, he sins from the beginning. But verse 9 says, whoever is born of God does not habitually, continually practice sin. He cannot sin because he is born of God. And then it says this, and the seed of God remains in him. It's the seed of God that remains in us. And Ecclesiastes chapter 3 verse 11 says this beautiful thought. It says that God has given us the radar of eternity and put it in our hearts. He's placed eternity in our hearts. So that means when, when the things of this world are placed in front of us, we realize, maybe from experience, maybe because we've been there and done that, we say, no, I, I, I've been there. It's kind of like what Pastor Shallow showed us this morning. We're just kind of going in this direction, and it's like, this doesn't satisfy. This doesn't fulfill. This doesn't cut it for me in my life. I've been there. I've tried it. There's got to be something more. And the radar of eternity turns us around and brings us in the direction of God. 
And we start to look at that which is eternal. We start to look at that which is real and authentic and that comes from God because we realize that if it's eternal, we know it was made and meant for us. But if it's from this temporal existence, it's just from something here on the earth, no, we think differently now. And it's all because the seed of God remains in us. And I love that. And, and you know what it leads to? It leads to what happened in the life of Moses. It leads to a life of endurance. I mean, I, you know, I marvel when I think in the summer of 1973 when I accepted Christ as my Savior. And here we are in the fall of 2023, 50 years later. Do you think that I'm standing in front of you today, 50 years later, because I'm a heck of a guy and I know how to walk with God and I got it all together? Are you kidding me? It's completely the opposite. I'm a nobody, but God's grace has been supernaturally poured into my life and I am what I am by the grace of God. And God promises that that grace is great enough and overwhelmingly enough for every one of our lives. And it will take us not just from the starting line, but it'll carry us over the finish line. Because the seed of God remains in us. It's not to say that we couldn't backslide. It's not to say that we couldn't turn our backs on God for some time in our lives. But there's always something about us. There's always something that remains in us. It's that seed. It's that seed. It's the seed of God. It's the nature of God. We could, we could outwardly say, well, yeah, I was, I, I was a part of church and I grew up in that ministry. And, but listen, you cannot deny the reality of the seed of God in every single person who's ever accepted Christ as their savior. And you can count on that seed someday to flourish. So, so parents, don't stop praying for your children. Uh, grandparents, don't stop believing that God is going to do something great in the lives of your children and your grandchildren because it's the seed of God. That seed is powerful. It's kind of like, you ever see a blade of grass just kind of come through the cracks of concrete? It's incredible that that happens. You think, how is that possible, that tiny little seed of grass? You know, this is concrete, but there was a little crack in the concrete, but the seed is powerful enough to bring it up through the concrete. Because it's, it's got life in it. We have God's life inside of us. We have the radar of eternity. And now because of that, anything that's eternal, we're drawn to it. We're here tonight because we're drawn to the body of Christ, which is eternal. We're here tonight to hear the word of God. Why? Because it's eternal. We want to see people one to Christ through evangelism. Why? Because it's eternal. We've got the radar of eternity in our hearts. God put it there and it works. And the seed of God is powerful, more powerful than anything this world has to offer us. And it's, it's almost a shame sometimes when you have to see young people say, well, uh, okay, I tried faith and, and my parents asked me to do this and go to church and how I went to the Christian school. I did the whole nine yards. Well, you kind of want to say to them, you went nine yards, congratulations, but there's 91 yards left. That's a lot of yardage. And God still is coming after you. And he's still looking for you. And the radar of eternity never turns off. It's powerful. It's the seed of God. I think it's what kept Moses going. I think that even when he was in the palace, he must have thought, you know what? I'm here, but I don't really belong here. 
You know, I'm enjoying the surroundings of, 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 of the palace, but this is not my home. There's something more. I know I was made for something more. I know that God brought me into the world for something greater. And until you realize that, nothing, nothing in this world will satisfy us until the radar of eternity has its way and we just keep being drawn to that which is of God, eternal, because the seed of God remains in us. It's not to say that we don't sin from time to time and have those isolated acts of failure, but through simple confession, we get the cleansing of God and we just move on in our lives because, you know, anybody with the seed of God, they do not habitually, continually practice sin. You know why? Because ultimately, it will make them perfectly miserable. Most of those terrible habits that I brought into my new life when I was born again, you know how most of them God took them away? He made me absolutely miserable as I continued to live in them. And, and I became so miserable that I said, you know what? I don't need this anymore. I would rather have peace with God. I would rather have the joy of the Lord be my strength. I would rather walk with God. It's so much more pleasurable than any pleasures this world could offer us. Amen? Amen. Good evening. So I do have some props for this evening, and I'm going to call them up here in about five minutes. Um, So I'm going to read you a few verses just based on Pastor Love's message and what I'm assuming the message was on this morning. These verses are going to be important for our understanding tonight as well. So Hebrews 11, starting in verse 24, and we'll go through 28. And then when I'm done, if you're one of my props that I asked to, to come up here, I want, you, I want you to meet me right down here next to these steps. Okay? <clears throat> Hebrews eleven twenty four. By faith Moses, when he was come to years, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season, esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt, For he had respect under the recompense of the reward. By faith he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. Through faith he kept the Passover and the sprinkling of blood, lest he that destroyed the firstborn should touch them. So, five words I want you to remember. I think it's five, if I count it right. Uh, for most important word, all the other words fall under this word. Most important word is faith. Okay? Under faith is refused in verse 24. Under faith is choosing in verse 25. Under faith is esteeming in verse 26. Under faith is forsook in verse 27. And under faith is kept in verse 28. So let's pray. And if you're one of my props, come on down front for me. Jesus, we ask you to speak to us tonight through your word. We thank you that you desire to speak to us through your word. That you love us, that you uh, come after us, that you draw us. Jesus, we just ask you to 
uh, build us up tonight in faith. Help us to grow deeper in faith. Help us to know that you are the complete and perfect person of faith that we can rely on each and every day. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, you guys ready? Romans chapter 1. But keep those words in mind, because they're going to connect here, I hope. God, please let them connect. Okay. (laughs) We have three chairs over here. I'm going to explain each one little by little as we go through the book of Romans, okay? And then we have this fourth chair over here that we're going to get to in a little bit. So Romans chapter 1, starting in verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. Because that which may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has showed it unto them. For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power, and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Because that when they knew God, they glorified him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools, and changed the glory of the uncorruptible God into an image made like to corruptible man, and to birds and four-footed beasts and creeping things. Wherefore, God also gave them up to uncleanness through the lust of their own hearts to dishonor their own bodies between themselves, who changed the truth of God into a lie and worshiped and served the creature more than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. Now, they don't know which seat they're sitting in tonight, uh, but my friend Daniel here is sitting in the the Romans one seat. This is the Romans one seat. Now, the Romans one seat is the unbeliever who changed the truth of God into a lie. Okay? This is the Romans 1 seat. How many of us have sat in this seat before? Yep, all of us. If you want to admit it, great. If not, that's okay too. Daniel is the Romans 1 unbeliever who changed the truth of God into a lie. Um, Genesis 1.26 says what about God and man? Let's see. Genesis one twenty six says, God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, the fowl of the air, over the cattle, over all the earth, over every creeping thing that creeps upon the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him, male and female created he them. This is compatible with Romans 1 and what Paul is teaching the group of new believers in the, in the Roman church. Uh, you may want to worship the creature. You may want to turn the truth of God into a lie. You may want to worship all these other smaller things, but actually God has given you dominion over all of these smaller things. And he's actually called you to worship a God who is over all of those smaller things. But if you turn the truth of God into a lie like Daniel does, Daniel, I'm sorry, it's okay. You'll be okay. If you turn the truth of God into a lie then you're going to go after any and everything other than the God Most High. An example of this in our Bibles is in Luke chapter 19. It's 
in a man named Zacchaeus. Luke chapter 19. Luke, uh, Zacchaeus was just a liar. Zacchaeus was just a liar. How do we know this? In Luke 19, it says, When Jesus entered into Jericho in the first verse, Zacchaeus went to look for him, but he couldn't because he was so small. He went up to a tree. We all know that part of the story. But in verse 5, when Jesus looks at Zacchaeus, he says to him, Zacchaeus, make haste. Come down, for today I must abide at your house. And he made haste and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all murmured, saying that he was gone to be guest with a man that is a sinner. Jesus was going into Daniel, the unbelieving liar's house. He was going into Zacchaeus' house, a man who had a reputation for being a liar, a man who had a reputation for knocking people off for money, a man who had a reputation for idolizing the created things more than the creator. Zacchaeus was all about money. It says in verse 8, Zacchaeus stood and said unto the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor, and if I have taken anything from any man by false accusation, I restore him fourfold. This is basically Zacchaeus admitting to the fact that he was a dishonest, a lying man. So how does someone who looks at God, observes him, observes nature, looks around all of creation, sees the way, the order that the world works, and says, no, that's not God. I'm going to figure out some other way that everything works. How does this man go from this seat to a new one? Think about it for a couple of seconds. Talk to your neighbor about it. How does that man go from the seat that he's in, the attitude that he has, to a brand new seat? Go ahead, talk about it. All right, before we give you that answer, we move on to the next man. The next man is the Romans 2, verses 1 through 16 man. Romans 2, verses 1 through 16. Harold right here is a very, very judgmental person. Harold looks at you, judges you, gives you the stink eye, and turns his head and walks the other way because he wants nothing to do with you. Romans 2.1, Therefore you are inexcusable, O man, whosoever you are that judges. For wherein you judge another, you condemn yourself. For you that judge do the same things. But we are sure that the judgment of God is according to truth against them which commit such things. And think you this, O man, that judge them which do such things and do the same, that you shall escape the judgment of God? Or do you despise the riches of his goodness and forbearance and longsuffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leads to repentance. But after your hardness and impenitent heart, treasure up unto yourself wrath against the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God, who will render to every man according to his deeds. 
Go on down to verse 15. Which show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience also bearing witness, and their thoughts the meanwhile accusing or else excusing one another in the day when God shall judge the secrets of men by Jesus Christ according to my gospel. So this, <laughs> first we have the unbeliever, we have the liar, we have the man who will turn anything that God has done, anything that God has said into his own truth, into his own way, into his own desire. And then we have the man who looks at everyone else and says, I am more righteous than you. He looks at everyone else and says, I can do things better than you can. He looks at everyone and says, however you think you should be following God, I can show you a better way to follow God. So this is the judgmental, self-righteous man, Harold. If you don't know him, come to Bible college, you can get to know him. Okay? <clears throat> How does this man go from self-righteous, judgmental, to something else? What was that really important word I said is the beginning of all those other words? Okay, that means nothing. Don't worry about it. Hold on. This third person, Romans 2, verses 17 through 29. Romans 2, verses 17 through 29. This is the religious man. This is the religious man. J.B., the religious, uh, zealous Jewish man right here from Hungary. We actually, we actually joked today, earlier today, that he's the most Jewish, Jewish one we know among us. Okay. So this, this goes well for him. Verse 17, Romans 2.17. Sorry, I'm just trying, trying to have a little fun. This will be good. Behold, you are called a Jew and rest in the law and make your boast of God. And know his will and approve the things that are more excellent, being instructed out of the law, and are confident that you yourself are a guide of the blind, a light of them which are in darkness, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of babes, which has the form of knowledge and of the truth in the law. You therefore which teach another, do you also teach yourself? You that preach a man should not steal, do you steal? You that say a man should not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You that abhor idols, do you commit sacrilege? You that make your boast of the law through breaking the law dishonor God, for the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles through you as it is written. For circumcision verily profits if you keep the law, but if you be a breaker of the law, your circumcision is made uncircumcision. Verse 29, but he is a Jew, which is one inwardly, and circumcision is that of the heart, in the spirit, and not in the letter, whose praise is not of men, but of God. So we have little Zacchaeus over here who met Christ. What's the first word under faith in Hebrews chapter 11? Hmm? Let's go back and check. Hebrews 11. Hebrews 11, <clears throat> verse 24, the first word after faith, verse 24, is refused. Zacchaeus refused his former lifestyle. Lord, I've been a liar, a cheapskate, a, a person who steals money from others, but the moment Christ came into his life, he changed. He refused it. He said, I will give back fourfold to anyone who I have wronged. Now these two men, self-righteous, judgmental, religious, uh, 
zealous after the things of God, but maybe actually only after a form of God and not the one true God. We could equate both of these guys to the Pharisees in the, in the New Testament. The Pharisees in the New Testament. The Pharisees were known to be self-righteous. They were known to be harping upon the law and judging people and uh, condemning people and ordering people to do this or do that for breaking any part of the law. Go and wash yourself. Go, go outside the camp for seven days. Go and uh, pay your tithe to the, to the temple. Because they feel like they have some sort of higher knowledge than anyone else. So what's the answer for these three men to get here? Well, we're missing one very key ingredient. And it goes right here in the middle. It's up there on the wall right there. And if you put that right here in the middle... You have each one of these men in Romans chapter 4 meeting Christ in a different way. The word is faith. The word is faith in Hebrews 11. By faith, Zacchaeus forsook his way. By faith, what's another one? Yeah, chose, choose, right? By faith choosing rather to suffer with the people of God, esteeming the reproaches of Christ greater than the riches of the treasure in Egypt. What is the reproach of Christ? It's the cross. In Romans chapter 4, the cross is all, has always been the center of the matter. The cross has always been the transformational uh, moment in every person's life. Romans chapter 4, starting in verse 1. What shall we say then that Abraham our father, as pertaining to the flesh, is found? For if Abraham were justified by works, he has whereof to glory, but not before God. For what says the Scripture? Abraham believed God, and it was counted unto him for righteousness. What is believing God? It's faith. It's faith. What was Abraham's cross that he had to pick up? It says in Hebrews chapter 11 what his cross was. Or it says at the end of James chapter 2 what his cross was. He had to offer up his son Isaac. He had to take up the cross, offer up his son Isaac. By faith he did that. And he came to a whole new place. He came to a whole new place. It says in the book of Hebrews that Abraham believed that God would bring back his son from the dead if he was asking him to kill him. He had to go to the cross with that idea I have to kill my only son who you promised me? What is God doing? God is like foreshadowing exactly what he's going to do with his own son by putting him up on the cross to die for all of us. He's foreshadowing the whole thing. He's saying, here's the father of your faith, Abraham, who has to do this very hard human thing, and myself, God, I'm going to do it with my son and I'm going to put him on the cross. And any single person, an unbelieving person, a self-righteous person, or a religious person who forsakes their own way and chooses this way will have something brand new. Will have something brand new. All right, so I need you all to cooperate for a second. And I need you all to close your eyes for 10 seconds. Are you ready? Okay, close your eyes.
Pastor Wright's got a count going. All right, open your eyes. Whoa. What happened? What happened? Transformation happened. Romans chapter 3, the last part, the, the whole of Romans chapter 3 is about the cross in our life. The whole of Romans chapter 3 is about everything that is wrong with this side of our life, this part of our childhood, this part of our adulthood, this part of our choices in life. And the cross is introduced in Romans chapter 3 in verse 21. But now the righteousness of God without the law is manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. Even the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ unto all and upon all them that believe, for there is no difference, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God set forth to be a propitiation through faith in His blood to declare His righteousness for the remission of sins that are past through the forbearance of God. What do you tell the unbeliever? I'm pretending Daniel's still over here as an unbeliever. What do you tell the unbeliever who, who will not admit who God is? What do you tell him? You tell him the truth. You just tell him the truth. Speak the truth in love. Ephesians 4.15 Do you know that you were made in the image and likeness of God? Do you know that he has a purpose for you? Do you know that he has an identity that is far greater than the identity that you are living in right now as a liar, deceitful uh, trickster like Jacob? He wants to take you from this place by faith to Israel. Genesis chapter 32.28 He wants to take you to a new identity. Jacob turns into Israel. Zacchaeus becomes a believer. Zacchaeus becomes a disciple. What do you tell to the self-righteous? What do you tell to the religious zealot who is all about their way of following God, who is all about their way of putting themselves higher and higher on the pedestal when God has always been as high up as is possible? What do you tell them? What do you tell them? The truth in love. Do you know that God sent his son for you that whosoever would believe in him would not perish but would have everlasting life? Do you know that God loves you so much that he sent his son to die for you? Do you know that you think of yourself as righteous but Jesus Christ is called the righteous one in First John chapter 2 and verse 1? In the moment that you believe in him, he becomes your advocate. He becomes your advocate. And he defends you for the rest of eternity before his father in heaven. He becomes your, that's such a big word. He's your advocate. You go from being self-righteous. I got to justify myself, justify myself. I got to make my way. I got to do my thing to actually, I read Romans three. I'm a pretty bad person. I'm not so great a dude. But if I, by faith, believe in what Christ has done for me, I am righteous. I am declared righteous. That's what it means to be justified. I am declared righteous by the blood of Jesus Christ, by believing in the cross, by believing that the transformational aspect of your life takes place wholly, completely, unequivocally by faith. Because he did it. Jesus Christ is the one who was crucified. Jesus Christ is the one who was on the cross yelling out in pain, crying out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Crying out, Father, forgive them, they know not what they do. 
crying out, Father, into your hands I commend my spirit so that he could be raised again by God, by the Holy Spirit, three days after he was in the grave so that whosoever would believe in him would go from old to new. Old to new. Now we get to Romans 6, and I'll end in Romans 6. And this is, I think, where everything kind of comes together, I hope. Romans chapter 6. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? Go back to Hebrews 11. These, these gentlemen up here who were so gracious to volunteer and just sit here and have to stare and probably try to not make awkward eye contact with anyone the whole time, they, um, they are no longer, they are no longer, what does it say, Romans 6.2? No longer what? Oh, thank you. No, no, uh, yeah, yeah, dead to sin. They, they are dead to sin. They are dead to sin. On this side, sin was alive. Sin was doing really well. Sin was leading and guiding them. The blind were leading the blind. They were all falling off the cliff together, okay? But whenever they believed in Jesus Christ by faith, they chose Christ. Hebrews chapter 11, they forsook the world. They went That's Egypt, by the way. They forsook Egypt. They forsook Egypt. They forsook the world. They kept their new identity. How do do they keep their identity now that they're here? How do they... What happens when they look over here? What happens when they look over here and there's nothing here anymore? What, What can they even look at if they look to the right now from where they're seated? What What's right here? They see the cross. They don't see this. They don't see how they were. They don't see how they lived. They don't see what they used to be. They see the cross, and they're reminded, and, they're, and they keep that. Romans chapter 6. They see that they have been buried with Christ, verse 4, in baptism into death. That like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. For if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall be also in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, when they look to the right, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin, for he that is dead is freed from sin. Can you guys clap for these guys? They're freed from sin. Thank you. You guys can go. Thank you. Just leave them. Can someone say amen to that? Thanks. By faith, Moses refused. By faith, Moses chose. By faith, Moses esteemed the cross, the reproach of Christ. By faith, he forsook the world. Through faith, he kept the Passover, the sprinkling of the blood. He kept the remembrance of Christ on the cross. He kept the remembrance of the sacrifice shed for him 
Again, again, Moses, that's, that's future, that's looking forward to the cross. He, he doesn't even know what it is yet, but he knows that if he believes God, he's believing in what's to come. He's believing in the sacrifice of blood. So what, what do I want to say to you guys tonight? How many of you, on a regular basis, if you're a believer, how many of you find yourself in one of these three seats over here on a regular basis? Yeah, I don't, you don't need to raise your hands this time. This is rhetorical. How many of you find yourself here? Willpower is not the answer. Willpower is not going to get you from here to there. Willpower is not going to take you from being a deceiver, a liar, a self-righteous person, a religious zealot, a judgmental person, someone who's a Pharisee looking down upon other people, judging them, uh, belittling them. It's not, it's not going to get you out of these seats. The only thing that's going to get you out of these seats and planted in newness of life is faith in Jesus Christ and what he did on the cross. That is good news, isn't it? That's great news. That's the truth. When we realize that, we'll end here, Romans chapter 6, verse 12, 13, 14. When we realize that, we can apply faith to what it says right here. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body, that you should obey it in the lust thereof. Every time you feel the lust of it coming on, you look to the right, you think about your old nature, your old self, look for the cross. Look for the cross. Put your faith in Christ. Say, Christ, you can deliver me from that. Christ, uh, I would much rather take your reproach with the people of God than, than what I had back then. Neither yield you your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. Keep this identity with you always. Always. You are an instrument of God. Jesus Christ, the righteous, God sent him to be made sin for you so that he could make you his righteousness. 2 Corinthians 5.21 Keep that. Hold on to it. Don't let anyone tell you that you're this person. Don't let anyone else say to you that this is what your past dictates. My past dictates nothing. My presence with Christ in this moment, at this very second, is the only thing that matters. Verse 14, For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under the law, but under grace. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you so much that you have gone to the cross and died for us. Thank you that we we could never do that on our own and that we have to trust you for that. We have to trust you for that. Uh, If you are an unbeliever in this room, if everyone could just bow their heads for a moment and keep their eyes closed. If you're an unbeliever in this room and you find yourself in one of these seats that we portrayed here tonight, it only takes one simple, simple decision for you to be seated in heavenly places, for you to be uh, reigning with Jesus Christ, the righteous one. And that decision is just faith. It is just believing. It is Jesus Dying on the cross for you, you counting it to your own account and saying, I will take Christ's payment for my sin.
Forsake your sin. Choose Christ. Forsake the world. Choose Jesus. He loves you. He died for you. He will build you up in a way that you have never been built up before. If you would like to believe in Jesus tonight with everyone's head bowed and eyes closed, could you just raise your hand? If you want to believe in Jesus tonight, could you just raise your hand? For the believers in the room, our identity is sealed so tightly that we have no need to worry. Thank you, Jesus, that you take our worry away, that you give us a peace that passes understanding. We ask you to bless us tonight, give us peace as we leave this place, and joy unspeakable. In Jesus' name, amen.